Hola, this is Enrique Morones and founder of Gente Unida, but most importantly, now the host of my latest podcast, Buen Hombre, Magnificent Mujer. And today, this very, very special day, because it's Cesar Chavez's birthday, we launched this podcast with a very, very special person, Hugo Castro. And on behalf of our producer, Sarah Bella, and your host, Enrique Morones, we bring you Buen Hombre, Magnificent Mujer. Make sure you tune in every week as we bring in incredible people to share their stories. And don't forget, amor si se puede. Hola. We're here in beautiful Pantoja Park, the oldest park in San Diego and the first episode of Buen Hombre, Magnificent Mujer. And I can think of no better guest to initiate this program than Hugo Castro. And not only to have Hugo Castro here, but also to have Benito Juarez standing right behind us as Benito Juarez's uh, birthday is coming up. Hugo, welcome to Buen Hombre, Magnificent Mujer. Thank you for inviting me, Enrique. And your lifetime of uh, work with activism, your many challenges, and how you have risen above all of that to become the man that you are, a hero to people all over the world. Well, I'm gonna share part of my story here, how I become an activist, but I don't, I don't consider myself a hero. I just consider myself a person that wants to do a change in, in the life, personally in my life and also the, the life of others. And you have done that. You have done that. So thank you very much. And uh, a fascinating story. We're not going to be able to capture everything uh, today, but uh, we're going to have you back because later on we want to hear about your uh, another life that we barely touched upon. That is a playwright. That has a, <laughs> a brilliant future. And I know you're going to be working with, uh, uh, with Sarah and Mario and other people on this project. And I think it's fantastic. It's a side of Ugo that most people don't know. Yes. Thank you. I know that we're very good friends. We're actually compadres. And so you've done this with me before when I used to have another podcast. And the way that I like to begin is by asking you or my guest, who is Hugo Castro? When somebody says Hugo Castro, they don't know you at all. What do you tell them? Where were you born? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, uh, my name is Hugo Castro. I'm um, I'm um, son of a, of a first Mexican-American generation of a of a immigrant family. My family was a bracero. My dad was a bracero worker. He came uh, to work with the fields in the Salinas Valley in, in Monterey County. And, uh, and that's where I was born, in Salinas, California. So I'm, I, grew, I, I grew up um, between uh, Salinas and then a border town in Mexicali. English is my second language. Um, I grew up in Mexicali. And, and I went to high school in Calexico. We moved from Mexicali to to Calexico. We just right jumped to each other. next to each other. We just went through the through the fence, uh, through the wall, to be living in in in, in Calexico. And and uh, I grew up there in Calexico. My my teenager into Imperial Valley, and and, and that's part of my life. That's it. A lot of people don't realize uh, Mexicali and Calexico. The names, Mexicali, like Mexico, California, Calexico, California, Mexico. The names of the that's, two that's cities. A, that's a sister yeah, cities. That's right. And uh, so that was 
almost uh, 40 years ago. Yes. And there was, there was no wall back then, but of course there was the border. And when you say you grew up in the fields, you mean the agricultural fields? The agricultural fields. They actually, I was I was uh, raised in the agricultural fields. I was going to, uh, with us together with my brothers to go and, and help my my father. My father was a foreman on that time and help uh, in in lettuce. You know, applying water at the top of the head of the lettuce and also throwing boxes to the people to so they can continue working in um, picking up cantaloupe, uh, watermelons, onions, lettuce, cabbage, celery, and all types of, of commodities that are now uh, are being put to the tables of the of all the. Um, American people, and that are actually contributes the, the migrants to the benefit of society. So I'm part of that part. I'm, I'm an agricultural worker, and I have been. That's that's my therapy. I go still go and work in the fields, to to be with Pachamama, with with Mother Nature, to be in contact and, and to to kind of uh, to know where where I where I, I come from. That's yeah, very interesting. You told me that the people that are working in the fields, the men and the women, uh, some of them are pretty young, some of them are pretty old. But you started working there with your father when you were only around 12 years old. Yes. And you were saying that as a 12-year-old, that's what you were referring to, that you'd be throwing water on top of the lettuce or mm -hmm. throwing out the boxes while the adults were picking up the lettuce or whatever vegetable it was and putting it in the boxes. Mm -hmm. That is very, very difficult work. It's hard work. It's hard work, and I used to go and and, and it was like a, a, it was like playing for me. I didn't. It was not as as tough. What we were actually, what can a 12 year old uh, kid can do it doing uh, with uh, this hard worker? But uh, I feel that I was contributing to the to the to the team to the to, to all the to all the the compañeros working and compañeras working on the field. Then, when I was 15 years old, I I learned how to uh, how work harder and in, in the in the cattle um, in the cattle crop uh, commodity in Bakersfield area. And a lot of people don't know that California, if it was a country, it would be the fifth most powerful economy in the world. The fifth most powerful economy in the world, and the number one industry in California is agriculture. And more than 80, closer to 85% of the workers are undocumented. They do this back-breaking work, and thanks to them, we have food on our tables. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people take them for granted. A lot of times the owners of the fields, they don't treat them with dignity. Sometimes they can't even get a water break. Sometimes they're abusive of the, of the workers, especially the women. Did you see much of that when you were working there? I still, yeah, I saw a lot of that, and I, I tried to complain. My my dad also, he was raised um, in a way that uh, he always had to prove that he was a hard worker, uh, of, uh, that he was valuable to to the patrones, to the to the form, bosses. the bosses. And I, I got mad. I got mad at that attitude because they say, "Come on, we are." We, we, we reserve better. So working in the fields, uh, which is very, very hard work, we know that oftentimes there's abuse. 
by the landowners, by the people that, uh, that own the farms. Oftentimes, they turn it over to uh, a friend of theirs, so they'll be the ones that are supervising the people that are the foremen, like your father and so forth. And I know your father was very fair with the people, but the owners of the fields, they sometimes abuse the workers, especially the women. Did you see it, any of that? I, I saw a lot. I saw a lot of that, of, 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 um, kind of, um, you know, be working without uh, the right to go to the bathroom, without um, taking your your break uh, instead of a regular lunch, just taking just 10 minutes to be able to to cope with the with the demand for the for the day for the commodity. It, it's it's really it's really tough. That has changed thanks to the activists, such as uh, the great um, activists like Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta here in California. Actually, my my relatives, my my uncles were Chavistas. They were Chavistas uh, fighting in for for the for the rights in in Imperial Valley and also in in uh, Monterey County. Yes, um, well, Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta, two great leaders, and. Um, as uh, your father passed away a few months ago and I was at the mm -hmm. services and I met some of your uncles and they were telling me about Cesar Chavez and and, uh, and how much he influenced them and and, and Dolores Huerta, mm -hmm. the great work that they did. And your father uh, was a great, great man. I had the honor of, of knowing him and, and he was always very supportive of the many activities that we were doing. Him and your mom yes. would come when we were doing the ceremony that I've been doing for almost 20 years where we go to a cemetery in Imperial Valley in a little place called Holtville, which is the carrot capital of the United States. And there's a cemetery with more than 500 migrants buried, many of them unidentified, the, the majority of, of them unidentified. And we go there two or three times a year to do ceremonies to remember them so that people know they're not olvidados. And your mom and dad would always come with us. Yes, my my dad always go with uh, with us there, and also my mom because of a, they have a strong connection with the community, and and also because of a, um, I have a cousin that who was buried there. He died when I was he was a teenager, and um, when we were teenagers, Jesus, Junior, and and also because my mom and my dad used to help us a lot. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, Hotel Migrante taking donations in 2010, taking donations from from Imperial Valley, from our house. It was like a it was like a warehouse, the, my parents' house, to take donations to Mexicali to cross it to go to, to on that Hotel Migrante. Then later to other uh, shelters like Grupo de Apoyo a Migrantes, and then Posada del Migrante also. So yeah, a lot the, of those shelters along the border. Those in Mexicali, you introduced me to uh, Hotel Migrante, oh, yes. where I went several times and actually spent the night there a few times when mm -hmm. we did many of our activities, mm -hmm. including the Marcha, Marcha Migrantes, Migrantes. we would walk from Tijuana to Mexicali or from San Diego to Calexico, the many activities that we did. And oftentimes your parents would participate with us, as would some other family members. Mm -hmm. Now, so you, you grew up, you were born in Salinas, you worked as a migrant farm worker, uh, you were, lived on both sides of the border. Now let's, let's go to a little bit later in your life 
when you were um, high school, getting ready for college and so forth. How was your life then? It was really tough for me. It was because I was uh, in Mexico. I was, uh, for a time, you know, I was in Salinas. I was called a beaner sometimes in the school when I was in elementary. In, 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 in Mexico, it was called pocho. Pocho was like a derogative word that says you are not even, you are not Mexican. And so I was kind of a pocho in Mexicali, and it was tough to be like that. But uh, I learned to gain respect by education. I was a top student, always in elementary and also middle school. I had diplomas. My, my mom was so proud of that, to have the house, all the walls you covered with diplomas from, from elementary and middle, middle school. Then suddenly I moved to 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 Calexico, you know I have that problem, barrier language, uh, that barrier language that is still still have, uh, with with English, and but suddenly going from trigonometry and going to chemistry, going to basic algebra and going to social science, uh, natural science, very basic classes that I say, come on, this is not, I'm wasting my time. It was so, and it was also, um, uh, I was I was bullied a lot because not only about freshmen, they thought that I was freshman, it was, I was actually a sophomore because I was called a Chicalon, that I was not um, from Calexico. So, so I was bullied a lot with a lot of, uh, with my brother Julio and a lot of uh, uh, compañeros that were their first uh, year in, in high school in Calexico at that time and also with the classes, and then I said, I want, I want better, I want classes at my level. They say, but you don't know the language, this is your level. But that's not my level, I have to say, I used to tell the counselor, say, come on, this is not my level. Until you get into a better English level, you're gonna gotta get that classes that you need. So it was frustration when I was a sophomore, in my junior year, it was a lot of frustration that I can deposit doing uh, exercise and going to uh, working on the fields and, and uh, in, my, in my Saturdays and Sundays, the, the weekends and in the holidays and also the, the, the spring break, working in the fields and also going to the gym and going to karate. And that was the way that I trying to deposit, the, deal with frustration for a, for a time. So you had a, a, a challenging time not only uh, the hard work you did in, in the fields, switching from one country to the other, being out, an outsider, like you didn't know which side you were really on, or at least that's the way you were treated, but your situation was common to people that live along the border. Yes. That maybe they don't dominate one language, so that holds you back, and the bullying. And when that type of situation happens, like bullying, uh, people take different, different roads to get away from that. Sometimes they, they fight back, Sometimes they, they realize that the bully is the one that's the, the real problem. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. You're a stranger in a strange land. And uh, you graduate from high school. You get really good grades. Yeah, I graduated from high school. And then I went to, to, uh, to, um, um, to um, um, college, community college, because I couldn't go directly to university. But on that time, I, it was really tough for me because I was dealing with a, something that now people know that I have a condition uh, with bipolarity 
and and it was it was it was tough and also because I that crashes of uh, situations in my life make it uh, to make wrong decisions in my life. So I I just dropped from college sometimes and got back to college and and get involved in illegal actions that uh, then later took me to jail in 2000, 2002. So 2000, yeah, 2001, but I, I ended in, yeah, it was in uh, November of the two, second of 2001 that I was actually arrested. So you're being bipolar, uh, which is, you know, chemical imbalance. Everybody has, has issues. I have issues, psychological issues and so forth. And sometimes they're very hard to deal with. Yes. Anything could, you know, set them off and so forth if you don't take your medication or the proper uh, treatments. And I have family members that, that are in that situation, so I'm familiar with that. So when you talk about illegal activity uh, and that you were arrested, um, you don't have to, you know, mention what that was. But do you want do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. The 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 last uh, I. I got out of all illegal activities. I promised God to get out, out of uh, illegal activities in 1996. In, in, uh, yeah, 1996. But, uh, you know, I broke that promise in 2000, 2001 that I was arrested for marijuana. I was arrested for marijuana, transporting marijuana. I ended two years on, on prison. So two years in prison for something that now would not necessarily be illegal, so it was non-violent type yeah, of Yeah, it was non-violent. All my legal activity was non-violent. Non, non and it was something that a lot of people have uh, committed the mistake. They want to yes. make easy money, they get involved in drugs, and mm -hmm. then they get caught. And so you went and, and you were in prison. But the prison, in a certain way, was almost like a blessing to you. I almost died. I almost died because of lack of uh, medical attention in 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 uh, in in, uh, in the Taft Correctional Community uh, Taft Correctional Institute Taft mm -hmm. Taft California, but before that it was a blessing because in in um, I remember it was uh, I'm not sure it was March February March between the late February in in also March of 2002 when I met a guy. Uh, angel, I met an angel that he was um, he was there in, in in prison. I met it when we was transferred from one prison to 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 the court, and he said he said that he was there for delivering in a first first of all he he made me feel better because I was feeling so so bad about the decision that I made. In my son's birthday, um, that uh, took me to 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 jail. That uh, that he said, "Hey, God loves you," and I couldn't believe it. But then he started to say the reason that why he was there. He said he said that he was there to deliver a message to the U.S. government. His message was that Jesus Christ's message was, "Stop oppressing my people, because migrants." are my people because I was a refugee when I was on earth. And, and first I thought it was like a wacko guy. Then later I kind of realized that the message was, was correct. You know, people were in, in my case, I was there for illegal activity. It was not, it was a hard, 
hardships in, in, in a long sentence of two years for marijuana. But at least, you know, it was something illegal. But these people were there for illegal reentry. Say, this, there's no crime. They, they should not be there. And, and that's where I, my, my life converted to a blessing because I started to think in others to, to, to find a mission in my life. You say, okay, I'm alive to right now. I graduated from, from college from, through distant learning in Taft Community College. I started, I was a top, one, of, one of the top students, 50, one of the top 50 students, didn't leave for honors role in two semesters. But I was in jail and all my, my classmates were outside. So I, I, I started to believe stronger in, in God but also to believe stronger in, in myself. And that's, that's what is, is a blessing, you, in a um, way. You were introduced about the plight, even though you had lived some of it, then you, you realized more the plight of the migrant. That somebody, simply because they were trying to have a better life, and they had been deported and came back, were imprisoned there with you. Yes. And all they wanted was to have a better life for their family. Yes. And you heard their stories. I heard their stories. I, I saw the, some of them. I mean, I'm not sure if they died. One guy that was there, um, he was he was just one night in Mexico that he got scared and he just jumped a wall and he was arrested and he had five years for illegal reentry. He was on depression. The last time that we saw him, saw him, uh, he was relocated. We don't know if he he died. He went to the hospital because but he never came back. And, saw him again. Yeah, we never saw him again. And then you started uh, helping these people with your education and so forth, seeing how unjust it was for many of them to be in prison. Yes, I helped to to drive uh, to. I helped to, to drive through the kind of the system to write letters to the bureau of prison, to write letters to then Senator um, Barbara Boxer, to um, to to talk to the ward Gordon, talk to the to the other um, um, persons there to be able to make them a, a better staying well in, in, in prison. And, and that's, that's where I, I started to, in a way, I started activism inside the, the prison. And you helped a lot of people when you were there. So what happens when you get out of prison? When I get out of prison, I, wa I, went, I went to the highway house here in San Diego and I was, I continued studying at distant learning classes. Then I, I moved to Imperial Valley to my, with my family to Calexico. And uh, I enrolled in the university. I, had a, I was working on the fields, working on construction, trying to sustain my, my kids, my, my ex-wife, Nisa, my kids, Jared and Jared and, and, and Nisa Yafte. And, uh, in, uh, in, in working on the fields, but I have the opportunity because I, I, went, I went to, I, I, I need to do a, a, a take a midterm exam around November, and I couldn't find a, a library open. And, but one person said, point me, say, there's a library right there, it's, it's a university, San Diego State University, you should, you should go and ask, because I need someone to proctor the exam that, that I, I need to take. So I went there to San Diego State University. I asked, they did help me. 
But I then I something inside me asked me, you know, hey Hugo, uh, what's the difference between you and them? You know, there's yeah, there's an age difference, but uh, you can try it. So I went there and asked for assistance, and I had an opportunity. I met Lorena Malo, that I cannot forget her. That she she helped me a lot to go through through university, apply for a waiver for 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 uh, for uh, tuition. tuition. Not not to tuition to enroll to the, to the, for for um, and then a waiver for tuition to make it a payment in two two payments in per semester because I didn't have um, I I couldn't be accepted for for uh, for um, federal uh, student student aid because I I thought because of my my my, my criminal background I was accepted. But I, I didn't. I, I got a student loan, and I just get a, a small amount. But I was able with the student loans that a small amount, construction work, agricultural work, to graduate from university. When did you meet uh, Dr. Rogelio Reyes? I met Dr. Rogelio Reyes in 2000, 2000 uh, and in the 2004. When I went to the to the to the uh, classes, uh, when I went to the to the first classes uh, about university, not the classes with orientation about the university, and he was there. He was not actually my professor because he was a linguistic professor, and I was in, in international business. But uh, I knew about him, and he was my mentor, but in, in, in other areas, in activism, and not my professor in university. So you had all this background, and uh, you, you had these, uh, these people in your life, Angel, Lorena, Dr. Rogelio Reyes. Dr. Sergio Lizondo, Dr. Sergio Lizondo, that was because of uh, his name is written there with a, with a, with a, with uh, this um, project that made it possible to all the Mexican and Mexican American to go to university, that I forget right now the because of the stress that I, I'm going through, the name of this this uh, this plan that, that uh, help uh, all the the first generation of Mexicans and, uh, and Latinos and Chicanas and how you want to call them Central Americans to go into university and to, to dream and, and to have a, 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 a university diploma. Dr. So, Sergio Lizondo. So these people were rest, all, rest in peace, both of them. All these people were, were key in your life. Yes. And uh, you have all this background because you lived it and, uh, and you're very well known today for your work with the migrant community. Your selfless work uh, the fact that you're the first one that's always there when, when somebody needs some help, whether it's a migrant that was shot, uh, whether it was a law enforcement officer or in some sort of a disturbance or somebody that's lost or somebody that arrives. And there's so many amazing stories that I'm familiar with. And uh, we'll get to some of those stories uh, in just a moment. But here we are with uh, Hugo Castro. We're hearing about Hugo Castro and his, his life story. He's a, 
a true buen hombre and we're delighted that he's with us. Well, we're back with Buen Hombre Magnificent Mujer with Hugo Castro and he's telling us about his uh, early life. He was working in the fields, his years through college, he ran into some trouble, but, uh, but he has really come back to be a buen hombre, uh, uh, an even better hombre than, than, than before. You were talking about the influences in your life, including Dr. Elizondo, the clan of Santa Barbara, yes. Dr. Rogelio Reyes, your father, Lorena, etc. So now, you know, taking us up to uh, modern times, you've worked with various organizations as a volunteer, and your direct contact with the migrants, I don't know of anybody that has had more direct contact, and maybe you could share one story that has really influenced me, and that's the story of Efren. Rest in peace. So here's a guy that, like many of the people, is deported. And you were out there bringing um, supplies to the shelters to help them out. It's getting late. You can't go back to Tijuana. So you ask the, the pastor, is it okay if I spend the night here? And you end up bunking down next to this man named Efren. So uh, who, who is Efren and, and what was his story? Efren, Efren rest in peace. I, I, yeah, I, I met him when I was, it was, I was so tired that I, that I asked Pastor Salvador Cepeda to stay in the, in the shelter. A friend was there because uh, he was deported, but, but he was actually running away from uh, uh, Chihuahua because he was, he was, um, he was uh, kidnapped. He was kidnapped and tortured. They tried to mutilate him, cutting both arms and also stabbing in the back, in his, in his legs, because he didn't have uh, money put to pay for the ransom. A friend, a friend a grew up in, in Texas, but, uh, but um, got ran into problems and lost his green card, and he was deported. And when he was trying to go back to, to the United States, he was captured, and he was deported again, and, and, when, and, when, and when he was walking with another uh, 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 migrants, deported migrants, four men and one woman, there were six, uh, he was, uh, they were, they were, they were kidnapped. They, they were kidnapped, kidnapped, captured, and they used him as an example to, to, to scare the rest of the migrants yes. by, you know, using the phone to try to get money, they couldn't get money. So they literally almost cut off both of his arms. Yes. And he's in pain, uh, unbelievable pain. Next thing you know, he passes out. He's on the side of the road. And a couple of uh, people drive by and pick him up and take him to a hospital where they, they save him because he was about to die. Yes. And he was in that hospital for some time. And when they found out, when the doctors found out his situation, they said, you get a, you got to get out of here. You, can, you cannot be around here because the... The people that kidnapped you will find you and kill you. So he ends up in Baja California. He shares that story with you. And then you say, typical Hugo, come with me to the shelter that I'm at, yes. working at, and we'll give you a job. Yes, and he started to help us in the Bajada Migrante. He was uh, always helping uh, in the shelter. And actually, he helped, he helped a lot. Of, he was part of a... Border Angels, that time, uh, that period of Border Angels uh, that I really, really miss right now. 
that uh, that uh, that uh, he was part of a of the team helping the community. So we were in a in a way trying to transmute from the pain from the migrants being as the pain of a fear to love, uh, you know, and and uh, hopeless to to hope, but also to being from victims of forced migrations to being a activist and he was in his transition being an activist and helping the community. Yes, I, well, I met Efren. At that time I was the executive director of, of Border Angels. I was there for 33 years as you know and that's the Border Angels of yesterday. So sadly it's not the Border Angels of today. But Efren was a great example of, uh, of being a gentle soul. After everything yes. he had gone through and when he would talk to people and he would help people, he was always there in the background, but always helping people. Yes. Similar to you. Always in the background, helping people, not looking for attention. And uh, earlier this, this past year, uh, Efren passed away. Yes. He passed away and it was a very difficult time. And his family comes, you, you meet his family, you had taken him to the hospital. And um, yeah, these are the, the, the people that are risking everything just to have a better life. And he suffered very uh, a very difficult situation with the kidnapping, almost killing him, almost losing his arms. And what a soul uh, he was, uh, Efren. At the same time, we lost another person that was that worked very closely with both of us, uh, Jonathan Yost, yes. who was also uh, with the old Border Angels, and he was a water drop leader. And he sadly died. He died right around the same time. And it was a very, very difficult time because uh, an organization, and there's other organizations that are out there that are really committed to human rights, you find these people, or these people find you, Efren, Jonathan Yost, Hugo Castro, uh, and the tremendous work and commitment that they have, and they do things for the right reasons. They do things because they really wanna help their fellow man. And one of the things that I have always uh, tried to live by is, love has no borders. And love is an action, not just a word. So you came to me um, a few years ago. We had met 10 years earlier, and you've been, we've been working together. And you said, uh, oh, yeah, there's a van that somebody wants to donate, and these caravans are coming. They're starting to come from Central America to, to the U.S.-Mexican border. And, and you oh. took one of those vans. You took one of those vans. To almost, almost three years ago. Yeah. Yes. And that made worldwide a news. April April 2017, almost three years ago. Well, I remember you were, we were in the office. It was yes. a Saturday. I gave you some of the money that we had raised. Yes. And you took off to deliver the van. And as you know, I, I don't have social media. And, and Gaba contacts me. She says, have you seen this Facebook post by Hugo? I go, no. And it was when you had disappeared. You were just yes. about to disappear. And uh, it was another very challenging time in your life. Yes, it was. Uh, it was. It was. You know, all the challenging times in my life have helped me to kind of understand that and put me in the others. Actually, actually, being on the others' shoes of people, because then I did understand all the suffering people go when they are kidnapped and when they are beaten up and when they're asking for help and nobody wants to help them because they think they are drunk or they are drug addicts or they're alcoholics or you name it. In my case, I was, I don't know how, but I was able to survive 
thanks God. But uh, with a broken nose, broken ribs, broken school, broken metatarsus, and all covered by by bruises. And and I I I, I remember that uh, you know you were you were there always um, to help me. And and then later I knew that there you um, had a special special ceremony, you know, prayers. To because nobody knew what was happening to me because I was I was I was disappeared. You were disappeared, and because so many people love you all over the world, literally media from all over the world were contacting us. Where's Hugo? Where's Hugo? And thank God, because you had been born in Salinas, so you were a U.S. citizen. We contacted the State Department and the authorities from both countries, found you next to a metro in Mexico City, passed out, almost dead. You were hospitalized in Mexico City for several weeks and then transferred to a hospital here in San Diego UCSD. For, for several weeks. Yes. And then eventually to a rehab facility where you could recuperate. And, and thank God you're, you're here with us today. It, uh, that was just a few years ago. It was, it was so hard. It was so hard because the, I remember the psychiatrist that, uh, that was there that she said, you know, you're... you're your mind is devastated and it's really hard to recuperate who was, you know, a person that you knew, Hugo, it's gonna be really hard trying to, trying to think about uh, memories, actions, to bring it back, what, what you know, recover the most precious of you. And so what I said, I just know how to help others and I started trying to help others in the rehab, but I was so scared. I couldn't see two, two persons together. Three persons together, I thought that they were going to attack me. And, I, and when I, when I, with a crutches, I would go run, <laughs> walk as fast as possible and hide, him, hide me inside of the bathroom because I couldn't deal with it. I was so, so, damage by the emotional damage, psychological damage, not only my physical damage, but my my mind, my 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 uh, emotional body also very damaged and my, my soul so hard and my heart was so hard because I couldn't understand situations in my life. But I'm once again I you know, I bless God for all the, and I say, you know, hallelujah, because uh, all, all the situation that I have gone um, have helped me in a way to, to come back with a little wiser or more strength to be able to, to fight for what I think is my mission of my life, the reason I'm still alive, you know to help that community, migrant community. And you definitely have a heart. ...of gold and uh, you continue doing the work with the shelter, with the migrants, not only in Tijuana, but in Mexicali. Today, for example, we were 
on a conference call with a shelter in Guadalajara. Yes. We're going to be going down to southern Mexico to Chiapas. To Tapachula. Uh, and, and what a closing thought, because um, you're definitely going to have to come back. There's so many things that, that you're involved with. But one of the things that I don't, I don't think a lot of people know about you is that you're a very talented screenplay uh, writer, and you have this screenplay idea that you told me about several, uh, several, a couple of years ago. America and the America has three X's, like K K K. So in two minutes, what what uh, what's that all about? Yeah, America Incorporated is a situation in a. You know, this is a kind of fictitious situation of a country that is actually run as a business, where where the the business the CEO is really uh, racist, and um, and his um, his name is 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 uh, Donald Bond Heitler. Donald Bond Heitler runs as is the CEO of the America Incorporated, and he has been planning with um, with a a very elitist group, small but powerful group, trying to control and get rid of the of the the descendants of the original owners of this land. The indigenous people. The indigenous people. And you have some uh, other characters, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger was he was programmed. But he was uh, t trying to terminate. He was trying to terminate the 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 the, the descendants of the, of the real uh, owners of these lands. In in a but in a way his his ship was damaged, and he he started to fall in love with Latinos. So this is a story that I want to see come to fruition. So. What's the latest? Are you developing? Are you working with people to to get this story out? Yes, we're working to with with Mario Torero with Sara, with with trying to make it possible to make a, a short uh, version of the of the play with a, with a, with the caravan that I I can't neither that I'm glad to be invited to be part of it in the near future. Well, see, so so we learned a lot about Hugo Castro. There's really so much more to learn, but to me, there's no greater person that I know uh, that is an activist and that has really practiced what he has preached in spite of all these obstacles. I know that if I had had, we all have obstacles, but uh, some of those obstacles I know that I could not have overcome. So you're a, the, the true essence of a love in action and that love has no borders. And uh, I want to congratulate you and thank you for your dedication and and God willing, you have many years ahead to continue the work and keep on being that light in this uh, world that some, in some, in many cases, is full of darkness. You're a true light, that, a true angel. That's the reason we are together in Gente Unida because we are working at, at trying to make a change in the in the in the in the both sides of not only both sides of the world of, of the. Of, of the of the it's both sides of the of the wall, but actually trying to get rid of the wall, the greatest wall that divides us is, is covering in in the hearts, in the minds of people with it, through racism, with through hate, through through fear, and, and, and that's the reason we are together.
the people, we, el pueblo, as, as I call it, we, el pueblo, nosotros, the people, together, trying to change this world. El pueblo unido. Uh, gente unida and uh, love is, the, uh, is the, the way that we get there. Love overcomes hate, and love is the most powerful, um, nothing can be more powerful than love. And now we need love more than ever. Amor, si se puede. Yes. Please be sure to um, to subscribe to this podcast because we're going to be having a lot of buen hombres and magnificent mujeres on this podcast. Subscribe so you can hear their incredible stories. And don't forget, amor si se puede. <laughs>